Saturday was a good day for James Madison's football program and even a better day for, for Jimmy Moreland. Welcome in. Today's Tuesday, April 30th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. I'm Greg Medea, Jamie football beat writer at the paper and host of the pod. Join alongside Jim Sacco, sports editor at the DNR. And Jim, just thinking about Saturday a little bit, it's it's kind of why people love the draft. I mean, I, just knowing Jimmy's story, we, we've talked about it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy going 227th overall in the seventh round of the Washington Redskins. To see it kind of come full circle, knowing uh, where he started at JMU, the, the hiatus of, of a season that he had to take away from the team. Uh, it's, it's why people love the draft. It's all the stories that go on behind the scenes. Yeah, it, I, I, I was sitting out my because it was Saturday and we're going to win a Sunday paper. I was sitting out in my back deck. It was a nice sunny day, a little windy, and I was I was drinking probably, I think, drinking a beer, sitting out there watching the road go by with my laptop up on Tweet Deck, and, you know, I was following, you know, made sure so I could see you, and and it was as soon as I saw you pop it up, you know, there it is. I believe is what you know the the first uh, few words of your tweet were. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't smile a little bit because I was getting not worried, but I was just like, oh, you know, if he doesn't go, what a what a what a kick in the butt, you know, what a what a what a what a, what a gut punch. Uh, but just to see him go at two two seven. Uh, you know, I mean, after the first day, he was kind of tweeting out some of that chip on the shoulder kind of stuff. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to remember, I believe, it's something like he tipped up, you know, he tweeted out, you know, it's, you know, keep doubting me. Does he need a bigger chip on his shoulder? I mean, to go, you guessed five. I think the experts are saying between five and seven. He was later around. Uh, so, I mean, it, that's not the surprising part, maybe, that he went seven. Uh, but, I mean, does he need a bigger chip? Does this kid need a bigger chip on his shoulder? I don't think so. I think I think he's upset with just how many more corners were taken ahead of him. If okay. there's something to be upset, it's not that he went in the seventh round. He was very happy to be drafted. Mm-hmm. When I talked to him after afterward, he was ecstatic about the, the Redskins taking him. I think he was more upset that 30 cornerbacks or 29 cornerbacks went ahead of him. He was the 30th cornerback taken in the draft. That's, that's quite a bit, especially, uh, you know, some experts had him as high as third round, which I thought was definitely on the the extreme, yeah. you know, optimistic side for Moreland. Some had him in the seventh round. I guessed in between, like you said, and I, I don't know. I, I don't think there was a, anything bitter about being drafted in the seventh round. I think he was totally happy with that and, and totally fine with that because he 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 knows his road and, and to to come where. To, to go where he came from, uh, just just an incredible end to to a great story. We may not be surprised where he was taken, but and I can alluded to this. I mean, but it's surprise who took him. Yes, I mean that this Washington Redskins team of all the articles you wrote and, and and I don't think it was mentioned once. And and I mean it was just like it just just seemed to come out of left field. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting uh, that you bring that up because Jimmy he took visits to Baltimore. Uh, he took a visit uh, also to Chicago. Uh, he had pr- uh, private workouts with San Francisco, Indianapolis, Arizona. Not one meeting with the Redskins. What he told me afterward was he didn't talk to the Redskins at all during the pre-draft process. So he said uh, the quote was, you know, it, it literally came out of nowhere. The, the call came out of nowhere. He said he was very surprised to hear Jay Gruden on the other side of the line. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you were, you know, if you hadn't talked to him at all during the draft process. Uh, but, you know, 
these teams monitor from afar. Uh, I know the Redskins have sent scouts to watch James Madison's practices, and they, they were at a couple of games, I believe, uh, maybe the NC State game, and I think maybe one more in a regular, one more in a CAA schedule. Uh, I can't remember which one, but I know they've at least seen James Madison a couple of times uh, within the last year, so they probably were familiar enough, knowing that Moreland's kind of local, uh, just being down the road in Harrisonburg from D.C. Uh, so as, as much as it was a shock to him, maybe uh, just from the big picture uh, year worth of, of, of work that a scouting department does, maybe it's not that uh, maybe it's not that crazy. But anyway, I do have a clip of Moreland just uh, on his reaction uh, to being drafted and what that meant because he, he did snap the JMU drought uh, of, of a player not being selected since 2013. So here is Jimmy Moreland on being drafted. You know, I was just thinking, like, wow, it's the moment now. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just glad to have this moment in my life. You know, I'm just ready, ready for the next step, you know, ready to put that work in now. Also, Redskins coach Jay Gruden uh, in his press conference following the draft, just touched on a little bit of what Moreland brings uh, to Washington. Player of the year in the conference, uh, he's team captain, and uh, I like the fact that he gets his hands on a lot of balls, and, and he's very talented. He's quick, quick-twitched. Uh, he played corner, he played some nickel in the bowl games that he played in, uh, moved around a little bit. I think, uh, you know, as far as crystal ball is concerned, you're going to look at him both at corner and nickel, and I think he's got the skill set that... Uh, fits nickel extremely well. So Moreland going to the Redskins. It's it's pretty crazy. I'm sure we'll we'll make a couple of trips up there. They got Andrew Ranker also on a squad. Yeah, and I, that's got to be good for Jimmy because, you know, Andrew's gone through some adversity himself, and and here's two guys from the same school who played together, who've kind of gone through different kind of adversity, but adversity nonetheless. With Andrew, it's more of okay, you know, I didn't get my shot with we was with the Titans. Yeah, he had tryouts last year yeah. with the Titans and the Seahawks. He was injured a little bit, and then. Over to the AAF. Yeah, and then, you know, we know what that was just a snake bitten jackboot, you know, system they had there. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I think that's that's going to play well for both these guys. I mean, let's let's talk about both of them now. I mean, here's two guys that can really lean on each other, that know each other, been in the same room for, you know, what, three years together? Yeah. And I'm sure they're going to be back in, well, the same defensive room, not in the same defensive position room. Uh, but, so, I mean, I think that's going to be good for both of them. And there's definitely, I think, and you would agree with me, I think there's the Skins may have a need for Moreland up there. I don't know where they look like in the nickel. Uh, you know, and I think, which is obviously, I think where Jimmy's going to play, if he gets on the field in the NFL, it's going to be, at least for st- to start, it's going to be, to, you know, playing in the nickel. And I think the Redskins might have a need there. Yeah, I'm with you. And you heard Jay Gruden say it, too, is he, he thinks Moreland can absolutely play that uh, nickel spot because uh, you look at their roster. They have some veterans in the secondary. Landon Collins they just got from the Giants. Uh, they also have Josh Norman, a former pro bowler. Uh, they think Dominique Rogers, Camardi as well. So they have some guys who, who know what they're doing in the secondary safety and then the traditional corner spots. But you look at that nickel corner position, and I think I think there's an absolute need for Moreland there. And you take his man-to-man coverage skills, and I think that works, especially in today's NFL when everybody is using a slot receiver, if not if not two of them on the field yeah. at the same time. Uh, he's proven in the past he can match up with tight ends. Uh, he played uh, well, Dallas Goddard, the South Dakota State uh, tight end last year in the playoffs, matched up against him at times. Uh, so I think Moreland can, can hold his own in the slot. Goddard went to the Eagles in last year's draft. Uh, so I, I think I think he absolutely can fit there. And you think about what he can do on special teams. And, and 
if there's somebody that's going to stick because special teams is an asset for for that person, it's probably Jimmy. And, and think about what he's going to – I mean, obviously he's a student of the game if he's gotten this far. Now, I mean, look at that DB room. I mean, look who he's got to talk to in that DB room. I mean, and it's just like, you know, you know I think, what, 18, 19 combined years of NFL experience, and I might be shortchanging a little bit. I don't know how jo- – I can't remember how Josh, long Josh Norman's been in the league, but it's he's no spring chicken. Well, and, and the interesting thing, too, is Norman and Rodgers Camardi were FCS guys mm-hmm. coming out of college, so they probably – won't mind Jimmy picking their brain a little bit about you know how to stay around in the NFL. Uh, those guys went from FCS standouts and stars to you know really good players in the NFL, Pro Bowl players at times uh, in their careers. So I think Moreland, and he said it too. He's like, "I'm the rookie." I, that was his quote I used in the paper. He's like, "I'm the rookie now. I can learn from the vets." Uh, so uh, after after being in uh, at JMU this past season, where he was. The guy everybody was looking to for advice and answers. A little bit of a role reversal now for him that I that I think will really help him uh, if he wants to you know stay around in the NFL. And what's going to help him as well, and I think he's going to you know he's subconsciously he's going to be careful about this until he gets pretty solidified in the room. Is I mean he's a he's a funny guy. He's a very 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 funny individual, and you know you've talked to him. If any listeners out there have had the opportunity to talk to him, I mean, as serious as he is about the game, I mean, he can he's very good at making you laugh, and and I think that's ultimately you know once he gets comfortable, you don't want to be that rookie going up there who's the clown, and and everyone's just like, well, who, who the heck's this guy? But I think once he gets solidified and he earns those guys' respect in that DB room, I mean. He's gonna fit right in because I just you know from what I read about Josh Norman and, and those guys is that they're you know they're very funny individuals as well and it's a, he should fit in well with that because he is a very genuinely funny individual. Yeah, I remember Mike Houston telling me because Mike Houston was a former DB coach. He said you know corners are always a little bit of characters. Oh, yeah, they're, they're out there, there. They're out there on islands and they're, they're always they always got to be a little more confident. And Jimmy's not cocky, but he's certainly confident. Yeah, he believes yeah. in his game. Uh, and, and some of that funniness shows in, in how, how he speaks about the game. But I think I think he'll fit right in there in Washington. And uh, I'm sure he's ready to get started when they start the uh, rookie minicamp. I don't know if it's this weekend or the weekend after, but uh, I'm sure he's excited to, to get going. Before we get into a little bit more about maybe some of the other guys at JMU who, who didn't get drafted but have a shot, I mean, I think one of the things that we may not – have talked about enough, and, and, you know, with a new coach and, and Kurt Signetti, it might be tough to talk, or not tough, but we just kind of forget to talk about it. But I mean, how much credit this really has to start going to Mike Houston on Jimmy getting drafted? I mean, here's a guy who, you know, didn't have to do what he did by putting him back on the team. Obviously, he saw the talent, but I mean, he had a top-level FCS program. He was going to get talent no matter what. But, I mean, obviously he saw something special, you know, let this kid back in the, the room and in the locker room. But I, I think Mike is, you know, definitely, you know, gone but not forgotten. He's kind of got to get some credit on this. Yeah, I, I think I think for sure. I mean, he, he, he always was pretty disappointed the last couple of drafts of the JMU. They had talented players, but even guys that – stuck his undrafted free agents and made good on tryouts like Rashard Davis and Raven Green and Aaron Stinney. Uh, he was disappointed those guys didn't get picked. Uh, and he wanted to make sure by the time he left, you know, somebody got drafted. So I think this credit does go to Mike Houston. I mean, obviously, all of it goes to Jimmy, but uh, from a coaching standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, it goes to Mike for not only letting Jimmy back on the team, but the way he was brought back on the team and the fact that Mike was watching him. Trip Weaver was there, you know, day in and day out to make sure Moreland was staying on the right path. 
and they eased him into kind of a, a, a bigger role. It was special teams first, and then all of a sudden he got toward the stretch run of that 2016 championship run, and he was playing defense. He was playing that slot corner. Uh, the year after, he was a starting, you know, traditional cornerback. And then this past season, consensus All-American. So there were steps each year, and you saw the progression, and you saw Moreland become a guy that they leaned on heavily uh, day in and day out as a senior. And, and it ultimately paid off the decision to you know, let him back on the team. So I know Mike's thrilled. I, I, know, I know that when I, when I talked to him last week, he said he just, he just couldn't be more proud that Jimmy was going to have this moment. And, he, and he's probably – he's not going to be the only one. we got two other guys with a shot uh, – well, three, actually, if you want to count uh, Ishmael Hyman with the yeah. with the Browns. But in terms of uh, guys – well, he's signed – you know, Ishmael Hyman signed a deal. Here's two guys who have a chance with a deal. Marcus Marshall's going to the Steelers, right? Marcus is – Or has an invite sh- to the Steelers? Uh, Carden Johnson has Carden an invite. Johnson does, okay. Yeah, Carden yeah. has an invite to the Steelers. And Marcus Marshall uh, is with the Chiefs and the – Titans uh, tryouts with the Chiefs and Titans. The Chiefs come first. I know Marcus said he's hopes it's only one. Yeah. Uh, because if it's one, uh, that means he's, st- he's stuck with Kansas City. Isn't he kind of a, a, a I don't want to age myself here, but when I watch Marcus run, I almost get a, a it's almost like a Christian Okoye-esque running back. I mean, the way he just kind of overpowers you. And, and he's a big dude. I mean, he's not some, you know, little running back uh, like a Tariq uh, Cohen kind of guy. He's a yeah, I, When I see him run, I get that Christian Okoye feel, and there he is going to the Chiefs, and I think that's kind of poetic, if you will. Yeah, and it's interesting because he played that, I guess, that fullback-type position when he was at Georgia Tech mm-hmm. when they were, you know, just either handing him the ball or faking the ball. He was getting tackled every single play in that Georgia Tech op- option offense before he transferred to JMU. And then at JMU, I guess he was able to work on his speed and show off his speed a little bit more. So he does have the physicalness. I think where he kind of separates himself is that speed once he gets into the second level. He has that ability to separate uh, from safeties, and that's something he wasn't able to do at Georgia Tech, which really probably helped him get an NFL look uh, while transferring down a level to to JMU from FBS to FCS. That getaway speed that I saw in one of the games last year. South Dakota State. Yeah, just just stunned me because he's such a big guy and and the fact that he was just kind of like you saw him. You saw the gear just shift as soon as he hit the open field, and knew he had like one or two safety, or the one safety, excuse me, on the left side of the beat. On that, on that was that like sixty-five yard. Yeah, he had a sixty-five yard yeah. touchdown run in that game and an eighty-seven yard touchdown game. Sixty-five yard one that really stuck out to me because I mean he had that one safety on the left side of the beat, and he was just like you know, yeah. <laughs> it was just you know it's just like and it's just like where did that because it was just straight power to get to that point, and then he got out in the open and it was like just goodbye and. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I you know I look forward to seeing what he's doing, and you you can root for all these guys, but another you know in in the same vein of Jimmy Moreland, one of those guys tough to root against is Carden Johnson, who's uh, going to the Steelers. Yeah, Carden has an invite to the yeah, Steelers. He has an invite tryout basis with with Pittsburgh. Uh, really, I just just a fascinating story for Carden. Uh, six years at JMU, we, we all know the injury history. Uh, didn't play in 2014 because of one. Uh, had the back-to-back Achilles injuries that, that killed the, what, the 2016 season and 2017 season for him. But when he was on the field, he was he was pretty was damn good. good. He was pretty damn good. I, I mean, I, let's, let's just put it that way. He was, he was very fast. I mean, you saw the game against East Carolina uh, to open 2017 season before he had the season-ending injury. Ripped off 265 yards and two touchdowns, and just 
I mean, at that point, everybody's thinking, holy cow, this guy's coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, and and he, 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 put, he really was great in that game. Had a 68-yard touchdown against North Carolina on a, on a swing pass. Uh, outran the whole Tar Heel defense. Uh, so he, he had moments at JMU where you thought, as long as he's healthy, he should be an NFL-caliber player. Uh, but the health is is obviously the big concern. But Carden, nonetheless, I know he was he was thrilled, uh, and there was a JMU connection there. Blaine Stewart, who played at JMU uh, from 2013 through 2015, had overlap at the school with Carden. Uh, he's now a coaching assistant uh, with Pittsburgh. Blaine Stewart is is the son of former West Virginia coach uh, Bill Stewart, uh, but. Uh, anyway, Blaine made the call from, from for the Steelers to invite Carden uh, to camp. So that's that's a really nice feel good story. Mike Tomlin's a coach in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's a seven five seven guy, yeah. I believe himself. Uh, Carden's a seven five seven guy. Uh, so there's there's some uniqueness there. And I, what I like about Carden is just how, how how grounded of an individual he is. I mean, you know, he's just he's a family guy. Uh, you know, he's got a one year old daughter. Yeah, one year old daughter, Chloe. You know, he knows he, he's a hundred percent certain why he's doing what he's doing, and he's doing it for Chloe and his family. And and you know, that's tough to root against. And whether you believe or you don't believe, I'm, I'm always impressed by someone who just you know thanks God after everything. You know, you know, you know, it's just it's just always impressive to me to hear that. And and I just you know, he's a grounded dude, man. And he's one of those guys that's you know. It's it's just tough to say like you know well I don't think he's gonna make it I mean you, when you're watching Carden Johnson and you know what he's gone through with the injuries and and what he wants to do to take care of his family it's just really tough to say anything other than man I hope he sticks yeah it's uh it's it's impressive to think that he he stuck through because he could have quit Any, uh, anytime I, I know Mike wasn't sure after the second Achilles injury if if Carden was gonna come back for that next season uh, but Carden wanted to finish out his career the right way by making it through a full season. Uh, did that, led JMU in rushing this past season. So, uh, feel-good story there for Carden Johnson. Uh, this was Carden yesterday on what he wants to show the Steelers. I'm going to give them my everything. <laughs> you know, I'm going to give my everything each day uh, that I have opportunity. So, that's, I mean, that's all I can, I can, that's what I can say right now. Like, that's, you know, strictly on my mind right now, um, I'm still working out, getting prepared. And when, when time comes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get my everything. And also Marcus Marshall uh, from Saturday night on his camp tryouts with Tennessee and Kansas City. You know, throughout the process, I heard from a, from a few teams, but Tennessee uh, definitely showed a lot of interest as well as the Chiefs. And so, um, you know, I kind of had an idea. didn't know if it was going to be, a, you know, a free agent contract or, or what the case would be, but I'm excited about the mini camp opportunities and uh Looking forward to going out there and proving myself. So that's that's this year's group. Uh, I was surprised a couple other guys maybe didn't get their shot. Darius Carter, Trey Sharp. I uh, know I, I thought maybe one of those two guys would have an opportunity, but didn't come out. So Jamie ends up with three. Uh, and you never know; those guys could could get a chance within the next week or two as these teams figure out maybe they need another defensive end or another running back. But uh, Moreland to the Redskins. Johnson will have the tryout with the Steelers, and Marshall will have tryouts with Kansas City and Tennessee. Yeah, and, and now, now let's let's go to the future here. And, and oh. you wrote about it. It was online Monday. It was in Tuesday's paper. Just you know, some of the guys on the current roster aren't gone yet, who probably have the best chance to be drafted. I, I just by reading your story, I get the feeling that a lot of people out there don't think there's going to be another four or five year drought. They're thinking that you know next year 
we could see either in 20 or 21, we could see another JMU guy go. Is this true? Yeah, I, I would think so. Last year at this time, it's funny, Rashad Robinson was yeah. the better was the better of the two cornerback prospects uh, out of him and Jimmy Moreland. So I would think as long as he shows he's, he's healthy, uh, had, the, had the turf toe injury last year that kept him out for the full season. Uh, if he shows he's healthy, I, I assume he'll be a draft pick. He's been a productive player throughout his career, and uh, he's a little bigger than Jimmy. Uh, so that should help him in terms of draft stock. Maybe a true corner position for him. Yeah, true corner, not not really a slot corner guy. Uh, so I would I would say probably uh, Rashad Robinson. Uh, he certainly is one. I think uh, DraftScout.com, all these sites that do the, oh, do yeah. the positional rankings, had him as the 49th best cornerback in the country in the, in the 2020 class, and then. Walter Football, who also does all the draft stuff, they had him as the 13th best cornerback. That's a huge difference. Man, man, that's huge. That's a big difference. But you get that this time of year when you're a year away uh, from the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, I would be, you know, I'm curious where this goes. And and I guess if you want to get even younger and further into the future, I mean, who's probably the fastest rising prospect on that JMU roster? Okay, well... The fastest rising, I'll stick with 2020 first, and I'll give you John Daka, because he went from backup last year, or backup two years ago, excuse me, to 10 sack yeah. uh, junior season. That'll get you noticed, and he's explosive off the edge, uh, former start, Wise High School in Maryland. Uh, he's a rising, he's rising. Is If he does what he did this past year, he probably has a pretty good shot to get drafted. Uh, as far as the young guys, though, you got to look at Famous Amos, uh, D'Angelo Amos, the punt returner, Liam Fornado, the offensive lineman as well. I think those two guys have as good of a shot as, as anybody younger uh, than the current senior class at JMU. Yeah, I forget about I forget about Amos. I do. And how could I? How can you forget about him? What two two touchdown two punt returns for touchdowns in one game this yeah, year? Yeah, and back to back possessions yeah. against Villanova. Yeah, you forget about him, and and I, I, I maybe he's more the Devin Hester guy. You know, not not to drop that name again, you know, because I know we dropped it with Jimmy, but maybe he's more the Devin Hester guy. He might be, you know, better suited for special teams with the occasional spot on defense and then maybe see if, you know, like if people do what Lovey Smith did with Devin, which kind of move him over and see what he can do on offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're that – I mean, you think he's going to get those kind of good looks? Yeah, I would think so. If you can play special teams at an elite level, you, you, have, a, you have a decent shot, especially considering he starts on defense also. So they can put him on, you know, kickoff coverage or punt coverage. And he's a ball hawk, too. I mean, he had, what, one one or two fumble returns? Not for touchdowns, but he – Couple fumble recoveries, and he had how many picks? Did he have any? Picks? I think he had two picks yeah. this past season. I have to look that up. I know he had a couple, but uh, he's he's he, he's probably going to get better on defense this season in his second year starting on defense. But he's been a special teams fix for JMU for the past couple of years, uh, so I think he'll certainly have a shot. And Fornado has been their best offensive lineman probably since stepping on campus a couple of years ago. He's he's really. As uh, a solid prospect out of New Jersey, played in that great Don Bosco program, and I think he had what nine FBS offers coming out of high school, but chose JMU because there's some family ties and family connections. Well, that's how you do it. <laughs> uh, and JMU needs to get some more players with family connections if they want to have guys in the draft. No. Greg, overall thoughts on how FCS did in the draft? I mean, it's it. I mean, it. You heard you heard the names, you heard the schools, but you know, do you think they got their due in this draft? And not not a great showing for for the FCS. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Uh, Jimmy, uh, I think thirteen. Jimmy was one of thirteen total FCS prospects drafted. 
Uh, Craig Haley, who does all the FCS stuff for stats, I think he put out that's the lowest this decade, the fewest uh, this decade FCS prospects in the draft. Uh, Titus Howard was at Alabama State. He was the only one that went in the first round. Uh, Delaware's Nasir Adderley went, I think, in round three. That was the second day he went, yeah. Yeah, so I I wouldn't say it was a great draft for FCS, but uh, uh, Jimmy will take it. Did Easton Stick go? Yes, Easton Stick get to uh, San, San Di- or, uh, L.A. They'll always be San Diego. Really? really? So Phillip, the Philip Rivers heir apparent has been found? Is that the, the general concern? Was he high? I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't, he I didn't, went fifth round. Fifth round. Which, I mean, you put that in perspective, especially considering Philip Rivers' age. You know, Easton Stick can win you games. Yeah. I mean, what do you lose? You lost three games, three four games as a starter in college. Yeah, and Is that's that it? Get, and that's where you get your bargain QBs. You know, you get your bargain starters. If you're not, if you're looking not to build necessarily around a QB and looking to build around a running game, uh, that's where you kind of go. I mean, I think you go like third, fourth, fifth. Uh, that's a good pickup for him. Yeah, I I I thought Easton Stick was a tremendous player yeah. in college, especially yeah. uh, considering how much he's won at North Dakota State. You put that guy and then let him learn from Philip Rivers a little bit. Uh, that's that's a pretty good situation for LA. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if is he married. Can he have like nine kids like Philip Rivers does? And they can I don't have, know. They can put a football team together among the two of them at some point. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Philip Rivers sets the bar. Yeah, he sets the bar pretty high. Very Steve Garvey esque, isn't it? <laughs> oh gosh, Philip Rivers. Uh, good stuff, Jim. But we're gonna switch gears a little bit right now. Go over to. College hoops switch from the NFL draft to college basketball because Shane Metlin, our JMU basketball writer, who's going to join me right now, he has a story in today's paper, Tuesday's paper, on Matt Lewis of James Madison's basketball program. Apparently, some poaching, some potential poaching going on. Uh, Matt Lewis not in the transfer portal, but somehow had opportunities to go elsewhere nonetheless. So uh, bring in Shane now. And, and Shane, when you look at the Matt Lewis situation, can you just kind of explain what happened and how he ended up with opportunities to go elsewhere uh, without James Madison knowing uh, that, that that was a, a thing? Yeah, I guess you start with that. Matt Lewis um, found out, yeah, sort of was finding out for sure yesterday, kind of through the grapevine, that uh, he was hearing maybe not directly from other schools, but he was being made aware that he had the opportunity to maybe move on to high major programs if that was something he wanted to do. Um, And being a guy as competitive as he is, I think, you know, there was some intrigue to that, you know, to maybe see if he can, uh, you know, play at the highest level, um, prove he can play at the highest level, you know, things like that are going to be appealing to him. But um, at the end of the day, after the end of uh, meeting with coaches and talking to family and everything like that, he ended up deciding he wanted to stay at uh, JMU, which was maybe a decision I think uh, maybe they were hoping to make uh, more privately and ended up being before things got kind of leaked out of there. But um, he's going to stay at JMU. But, uh, yeah, I know um, some – Duke's fans were not particularly pleased just the way things went down, where it seems like uh, bigger programs are coming in, kind of trying to poach their roster, things like that. And that's you know definitely kind of an issue that the introduction of the transfer portal that everybody likes to talk about and joke about and everything was kind of supposed to uh, put an end to, and it doesn't seem like it's quite doing that to at least some degree. I was going to say, it, it, in some instances, it, it's almost made it, Worse, it, it kind of an unintended consequence, and the fact that, and is that 
players can go into the transfer portal and eventually just go back to the school that they were at. It's kind of like testing free agency with, without becoming a free agent, uh, if, you, if you want to relate it to pro sports. But it's a very interesting dynamic. JMU last year, 14-19, and 6-12 and 12 in the CAA. Is it that these big schools feel like that's a program with, with a coach maybe on a hot seat, definitely going into next season? They can find a player or two on that roster at JMU where they have some talented players. Lou Rowe has recruited well, but if if Lou Rowe's not going to be around in, in a year and a half, what's what's the harm in, in trying to, to ask a kid that's maybe talented enough to do it to, to come join the, the top-level programs? Yeah, and I'm sure that's something that uh, other coaches, whether you're recruiting high school players or you know talking to potential transfers, I'm sure that's something that probably got brought up and maybe used against JMU just the fact that you know there was talk about Lou being on the hot seat you know during the season last year until Jeff Bourne you know really came out and said you know he's coming back for another year and put that issue to bed after the regular season but um, you know Lou Rowe even sort of during the regular season um, would bring this up on his own that you know he knew there was some you know, pressure on him to win more, uh, that, you know, maybe some fans were not happy with, you know, things and that his job status was going to be talked about. He'd bring it up on his own that, you know, people would contact him out of the blue about players, you know, like what happens if you're fired? Like, you know, where's Darius Banks going to go? And this was, you know, back in January and February, people were already, you know, doing this stuff. So to get to this point in the season where some high major teams maybe don't know what their roster is going to look like until – they find out who's transferring or who's going pro or who's coming back after putting their name in the draft, things like that. Uh, there's a little bit of a chaos just in the way it's all set up at this point in the year. Yeah, Lewis last year, 16.4 points per game, tied for the team lead, 81% free throw shooter, 99 assists, 4.2 rebounds per game. How, how do I, just for, for our listeners, how do these high major coaches go about gauging interest is it through players that maybe crossed paths with with lewis earlier in his career is it through aau coaches or high school coaches uh because you can't you can't i guess what's the word tamper uh you, you can't tamper that's illegal correct yeah yeah you can't be reaching out to you know matt or his family or other players. if you're a coach if, if you're, you're a coach, coach at another school yeah but i mean they're obviously it's a there's a basketball community and you know word gets around and all of the above that you mentioned before, former players, former AAU high school coaches, you know, I don't know for sure who was funneling the word in this particular case, but I was told in specific terms that, you know, Matt Lewis had not heard directly from coaches of other programs. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, obviously things get around. There's loopholes in almost every NCAA rule, it seems like, and that's one of them. But to me, like, the big issue is that, you know, the one thing this transfer portal was supposed to do was give the players that freedom to explore if they want to and make it known that they're contactable. But it was supposed to not have you putting, you know, the bug in the ear of the guy who seems to be happy where he is. You know, if Matt Lewis wanted to hear from other programs, he could put his name into that portal and then he's available or any any player 
And that hadn't happened at this point. I think that's what upset some of the people in this situation. Yeah, that's understandable because, like like you said, you don't want a coach from another school finding a way to tell Matt Lewis, "Hey, get in the transfer portal and let's talk a little more." Yeah, right. You don't you don't want that going on, and that's that that's kind of the issue. What in general has kept kept Lewis at JMU, and what's I guess kind of more big picture wise, what's helped Lewis Rowe keep the majority of his team intact? Despite a couple of you know down years to, to start his JMU tenure. Well, I mean, everybody likes him. That's you know part of it, and he recruited these guys. These are his guys. Um, you know, they did not want to see him lose his job here. Um, some of them are, you know, you talk about like Darius Banks. That's a guy who's from his hometown of Tampa. Families have known each other for a long time. Uh, Matt Lewis was one of the first high school recruits Lou really started talking to when he got the job back here. Um, so these are long, deep relationships, and you can understand why a guy might want to, you know, at least think about, you know, can I play at the ACC level, can I play in the Big Ten, wherever. But at the end of the day, you know, they're they're happy here for the most part, and I think everybody feels like they have a chance to be better next year um, and have a good season with the guys that are coming back. And, you know, um there, there are a few things, you know. Guys have girlfriends here. Guys have friends, and you know they're in academic programs that make sense for them. Everything about the university experience, you know, probably plays a role in it to some degree. And you know, it's flying clo- time, it's close to home yeah. for some guys. Yeah, it's you know, maybe you know, you talk about you know Matt Lewis. He's kind of shared the spotlight with Stucky Mosley for two years now. Um, you know, what can he do if he's you know more of the uh, you know Funkle number point. one guy? Yeah. 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 I mean, there, there, there's tons of things that factor into it and at the end of the day I think you know other than Greg Jones who's you know looking for some more playing time I think everybody else feels like all factors considered this is the best place for them right now interesting it and just doing some research this morning uh before we taped the podcast I I was reading a December 2018 study by the NCAA and that's that's recent and this this was just the alarming stat and it's not surprising because you can read pretty much anybody, any national basketball reporter that's written about uh, transfers in, in college basketball. But 40% of all men's basketball players that go D1 out of high school depart their initial school by the end of their sophomore year. That, I mean, that's 40%. That's that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. And, you know, I'm all for the players having a little more freedom and power maybe than they've had in the past but at the same point maybe we need to look at the system and figure out why so many people I don't know if regretting their decision is the right word but at some point you know they're deciding that their initial decision wasn't the right one maybe there's a way to make it so people are getting to the right spot initially you know I don't think anybody should have to stay where they are, especially if their coach might bail the next year for, you know, millions of dollars and you know, that happens all the time. So I'm I understand the idea that the player should have some freedom, but you know, whether it's the AAU system, the sneaker company, whatever it is that's kind of resulting in kids not going where they can be happy in the first place, I something along the line is broken in that regard yeah, if that many people are transferring. Yeah, it's something something the college basketball in general has to figure out. It's it's a problem and something certainly we we've talked about on this podcast before. What's the rest of the CAA look like? And when you when you look at JMU, obviously we just talked about the big name Matt Lewis who was going to stay with the Dukes. 
What's the rest of CAA look like? What rosters have gotten depleted by bigger programs or, or just other mid-majors looking to pick a kid or two up that has some playing experience? What's the league look like? Um, well, you know, William & Mary looks like they've been hit pretty hard. There's still a chance some of those guys may end up coming back now that they've, you know, uh, hired Dane Fisher as their coach. But it seems like most of them are – some of them are getting high major. Uh, you look at Justin Pierce um, – NC State and some programs like that are really interested in him. So you can see why maybe he's, you know, ready to move on. Uh, William & Mary got hit hard. Drexel's lost some players. Northeastern lost Sean Osius, who, you know, if healthy, would have been one of the best players in the conference next year. Um, UNC Wilmington got hit surprisingly hard. Um, you know, they, they'll bring back their freshman point guard, Kai Taos, who was, you know, really one of the best point guards in the conference this year. But... Uh, some of their guys who produce more points for them are going to be gone. Um, so some of those teams that look like maybe they could have been in a similar boat to JMU where, okay, now we've got some experience coming back. This will be the year we make a jump up the standings. Uh, maybe aren't going to be in that situation, whereas, you know, kind of the mainstays, uh, Charleston and Hofstra, who have been solid for a while, they seem to have, like, done a good job retaining their guys who are going to, come back and kind of step up in bigger roles. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to watch it all play out because it really, the, the roster changed so much year to year, even even in bigger programs. Like, I mean, I, I pay attention. I'm, I'm a grad of West Virginia. I pay attention to what's going on in Bob Huggins' program over the past year and even in the past bat, when they shifted to that press uh, and they had guys like, like Javon Carter and Daxter Miles come into the program and players that maybe were older and experienced that didn't fit anymore. They all left. It, it, it's a big regime change sometimes when it happens, and it happens all across college basketball. So it's fascinating to watch, and, and nothing's set in stone, I guess, until October when uh, when, when JMU starts practice, right? Yeah, you, you never know. But um, I think if you get through May with the roster intact, they're probably in you know solid shape because we're going to start to see here in the next few weeks the guys who are going to pull out of the draft will pull out of the draft. And then there's kind of like a trickle-down domino effect at that point, you know, once – you know, once the you know ACC and Big Twelve and Big Ten, all those teams know what their roster is. They know what they're looking for. Everybody knows what spots are available. Things like that. It kind of you know all starts to settle in, and you know what's up at that point. What, what's JMU at scholarship wise now? Do they are they have all their scholarships filled? They do. Um, I think they're still in the market to maybe pick up a transfer, add some experience if they can. In that case, then somebody would become a preferred walk-on for at least one season. Uh, <clears throat> maybe somebody like Matthew Urbach. I th- think um, you know that's probably something that's been discussed with him in the past, which his name, we go back to the transfer portal, his name is in the transfer portal, even though he is planning on staying at JMU, I think, at this point. And you know, that's what that transfer portal is for, for it's somebody like him to be able to like say, yeah, I want to see what the opportunities are, not to have you know coaches saying, hey, you should put your name in the transfer portal, which is, you know, I think what kind of needs to be worked out. Yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Right, go read the story, dnronline.com. You can also find it on the James Madison Rivals site, jamesmadison.rivals.com, dukesofjmu.com. Read Shane's story. It's pretty informative and, and really interesting uh, to, to kind of hear and, and, and read about kind of the back-channeling that goes on in college hoops because I'm sure it's, it's not only happening uh, with, with players at James Madison. I'm sure it happens all across the college basketball community. Uh, this week you're going to be lacrosse heavy, I guess, toward the end of the week with the CA championship. 
uh, tournament in Harrisonburg over at Centara Park. Uh, JMU lacrosse, 14 and three regular season, six and zero in the CAA. They're the top seed. They'll play Friday at 4 p.m. against Elon. Earlier in the year, JMU beat Elon 16 to eight, not that long ago on April 19th. Just what's your expectation for the tournament? The two and the three seed are Towson and Hofstra, respectively. Are you expecting the Dukes to, to take care of business? I think so. You know, Hofstra obviously gave them a really tough game up in Long Island. Um, that one went to overtime. But for the most part, you know, they've handled the conference season pretty uh, pretty easily. Um, and his team, we've talked about kind of more than once that it's not this national championship team from last year. But it's a good team. It's a team that's earned their, you know, top 12, top 10 rankings, depending on the poll you're talking about. Um their losses are all to really good teams. Um, in you know, I think they're it's a chance that a team that has a chance to make a, something of a run. Maybe not all the way to the national championship game like last year, but they, they can do something. Uh, you know, pretty impressive considering what they lost from last year's team. Uh, no, it's, uh, that's a good point, and we we've touched on that before. Uh, who do you think if they can beat Elon? Who do you think they see in a title game? Towson or Hofstra? Um, I'm going to go with Hofstra just because they gave them like more of a game. In the regular season, Towson's significantly down this year compared to where they were last year. Where they were, if it hadn't been a you know historic year for JMU, that might have been that Towson team might have been one of the best CAA teams we've seen in a while last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they're down from that, um, and you know even though they did get the number two seed, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Hofstra probably as the you know the team that can give JMU a, a little bit of a challenge here. Yeah, Hofstra uh, took Jamie down to the wire. Jamie needed two overtimes to beat the Pride 198 back on April 14th. So follow Shane along for, for all the CA tournament lacrosse action. Uh, CA lacrosse tournament action, excuse me, get my words a little jumbled here toward the end of the segment. Uh, but Shane will have that coverage. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll have it everything in the paper, too, in the Daily News record uh, coming this weekend. So Shane, have fun out at, uh, out at some lacrosse action. Yeah, it should be fun. Looking forward to it. It's a, yeah, if you haven't checked out the sport before, it's a good opportunity to go do it. Um, you know, it kind of combines a little bit of elements of basketball, hockey, soccer. Not as much football on the women's side. It's not the hitting like there is on the men's side. But if you're a sports fan, I think you could uh, find some uh, interest in that sport if you haven't ever checked it out. So James Madison lacrosse, their first game in the CA semifinal is Friday at 4 p.m. against Elon. If they win, they'll move on to play in a championship game. Shane will be out there. Uh, but gonna going to switch it up a little bit now. Go from... College lacrosse, and this is not a smooth transition on my part. I should have scheduled this better. We'll go from college lacrosse to minor league baseball. (laughs) Cody, how you doing? I'm bringing Cody Elliott, our prep writer, who's been paying attention to what's going on with Brennan Hanafee, uh, the former Turner Ashby star, now with the Frederick Keys of the Carolina League, the Class A advanced affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. Cody, what's what's going on with Hanafee? How, how are you doing, first of all? Before I ask you about Brennan, uh, what's going on with you these days? Well, same, just same old, same old. Um, you know, we're getting closer to uh, playoff time, so, um, you know, in, in terms of the prep scene. So, um, yeah, I mean, just getting ready for that and gearing up for the, the postseason run. Okay, so let's get to Hanafee now. Started last night, pitched well. Uh, first good start 
meh, would, would you say this year, first good start in a while? How, how would you kind of assess it? Because this year has not gone as smoothly as, as the first couple of minor league seasons. Yeah, he had a little bit of a rough start. Um, and then back on the 16th, he actually got his first win of the year. So I guess you could say that might have been his best performance. He gave up just two hits um, in five innings there, um, walked two, struck out four. Um, you know, he's not a guy that's been overpowering at all, and he's never been that way. But, you know, over the past three games combined, he's got 10 strikeouts. But then, um, you know, a week later after that, after his first win, he really struggled, gave up eight runs on 10 hits in four innings. Um, and then last night, kind of rebounded with another solid performance. Again, not overpowering, had just four strikeouts, but um, four hits and four walks and five innings. Got a second win of the year. Um, so he's now at two and two, um, you know, 6.65 ERA. Um, so he's, he's been about, about middle of the road right there. Um, you know, I don't. He, it doesn't look like, you know, for as much hype as he had coming into the year, you know, I've read a lot of blogs and a lot of online stuff around the Orioles organization before the year, and a lot of people thought, you know, he was getting really close to possibly getting caught up within, you know, maybe the next year or so. Um, they, he was really considered one of the brighter prospects for them, and I'm, I'm sure he certainly still is. Um, but just a little bit of a slow start for him, um, and I'm sure that's, you know, part of just getting used to the change, getting used to the new level he's at, um, and getting used to this new team he's on. Um, you know, we'll see how it progresses. It's a long season, and uh, but yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a shaky start for the for the former TA product. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say just just looking at his season numbers, uh, he's given up 24 hits and 18 runs in 23 innings. Uh, that's 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 not ideal, uh, but. Uh, still a bright prospect, nonetheless. When, because I, I, I think you you spoke to him already, right before yes, before the yeah, season started. What did what did what did he say uh, about his expectations going into this year? Well, he kind of pointed to being a little nervous about the the new setting and the new start. I mean, he's a little closer to home. He, he wanted people to come watch him. Um, but you know, that's something that is part of the minor leagues. I mean, you you're constantly making this change, having to adjust and. He, um, you know, he spoke about wanting to get off to a fast start, and unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do that yet so far. Um, but I, I think he's a guy who's very confident. He, uh, he, he seemed confident when I spoke to him. He seemed confident that he's, he was going to have a big year. So um, I anticipate those numbers getting better. I, you know, I'm not sure if he'll, you know, come out and just blow us away for the rest of the year. But it seems like as he slowly gets more used to the batters they face and more used to those teams, I think that he'll, he'll slowly begin to put up better numbers, and maybe we'll see a little bit more of that. That you know, high-level prospect that um, the Orioles think they have. Yeah, no, it's it's been interesting to watch from afar. I remember Phil went up to see him, uh, former sport, former high school writer. Phil went up to see him when he was, uh, I think, pitching in Staten Island. Uh, I can't remember the Aberdeen Ironbirds <laughs> were the affiliate, uh, low low short season affiliate of the Orioles then, uh, and still are, I think. But uh, it's been interesting to watch his kind of progression. Uh, as he's kind of climbing mm-hmm. uh, the the Orioles uh, the Orioles farm system, yeah. do, you, do you think? What do you think? Within two years is realistic. Uh, I guess depending on how he pitches. Yeah, I mean, I think if if it's going to happen, I think it happens within you know two years, two to three years max. Um, you know, otherwise, I think we see what happens with a lot of these local guys here recently that have went is they end up getting sent over to AAA, or then they end up get you know back in indie, indie ball or whatever. You know. Um, I'm actually working on a story with with Austin Nicely, who used to pitch at Spotswood. I'm working with him this week as well. Um, he's a guy who who 
got drafted high, went with the Astros, um, and it didn't pan out as well as he had hoped. Um, you know, I think Hanafi has. I think Hanafi's on a little different level. I think he has the potential to to make it work. Um, you know, now it's just a matter of getting through some of these early struggles. Um, he hasn't. He didn't really face many struggles last year. He pitched pretty well for most of the year. Was pretty consistent. So now, how's he going to react to kind of a little bit of a? You know, and it hasn't been a terrible start. So I don't want to make it sound like it's been awful, but hasn't been maybe up to his standards. So. How does he react to that, and, and you know, can he lower that ERA? Can he get some more wins under his belt and kind of get things under control the rest of the year? Uh, where, where's nicely at now? I know a couple of years ago he pitched in the RCBL because he was working back from an injury and didn't have a place to play, so he pitched in the county league. Yeah. Where's he at now? He's um, playing in an independent league um, in Evansville, Indiana right now. Um, he's, he actually played there last year as well and, and pitched really well. Um, they actually just started their season uh, two nights ago, so he hasn't even stepped on the mound yet. Um, but – uh, yeah, that that'll be a story coming later this week. But he's he's just there trying to kind of, you know, get back on track a little bit and uh, see where he can go from there. And uh, we'll see what you know, see where he can take his career now that uh, you know he's he's been he's kind of been under that scrutiny as a high level prospect. I mean, he was uh, I think you know tenth round pick out of high school, so he knows what that's like and uh, he's been there and seen that. And now he's kind of trying to see if he can get back on track after uh, a rough go-around in the minors this first time. Yeah, no, interesting for sure. Okay, TA Baseball, where Hanafi used to play. Uh, they're 10-5 and five overall. Wanted to get to this, touch on prep baseball a little bit because they're playing better than Knights. 6-2 and two in the Valley District, only behind Broadway, who still, the, the, the Gobblers still still gobbling up wins. 15-1, and 7-1 in the district. Uh, so that's that's your top two in the Valley District. What's kind of keyed TA, uh, putting TA in the right direction? Well, I think they've just grown up, to be honest. I mean, they just – we talked – I think the last time we really talked about baseball, we talked about how Broadway was kind of head and shoulders above everybody. And while they still record-wise and, you know, their 13-game winning streak is intact and all that certainly indicates that they're – the best team and they they have that right to say that i don't think ta is that far off and i think that you know they play again on the 10th and i think that that's the regular season finale for both of them that could be a great game um and then i think you know once the postseason rolls around if there's a team that i think can beat broadway i think it's ta um you know all their young pieces have grown up their hitting has really come on um you know their top three hitters are the are the top three hitters of the district so um, you know, then you've got some young guys who were unhealthy at the beginning of the year who are now starting to come back and pitching. Um, so I think they've just got that combination of everything starting to kind of come together for that team. And then, of course, you've got the experience. You've got Andrew Armstrong, you know, who has, has the state um, resume in his back pocket. So I think that's just a team that when you put it all together – um, if, if they were to come out of the Valley District Tournament with you know with the championship trophy, I would not be shocked at all. I was going to say, how, how does Andrew feel about his team this year? I don't know how much you've talked to him about it, but how does he feel about this this year's group? Well, he's he's said you know throughout the year, um, you know not just to me, but Tom Jacobs, our, our uh, freelancer, he's been there a couple times. He said that he thought this team was kind of young and, and would hit their stride eventually. They just kind of had to learn and they would go through ups and downs, and that's what you've seen I think throughout the year. Um, and I think a lot of times with young teams you see that it is whether they you know continue to trend downward or continue to go up and I think that team has learned from those mistakes or you know different situations they faced early in the year um, you know you look at the Harrisburg game they lost to Harrisonburg earlier in the year and that was such a big loss for them and and such a big win for Harrisonburg and then the last time they played TA beat them 14 to 3 so I think what you're seeing is a, a TA team that's kind of just growing up as right in front of our eyes and you know we've still got two three weeks for the playoff start and once those do I think you know, they could be in, in good shape. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on with baseball right now. 
we haven't talked about girls soccer really much at all on this podcast, uh, but I did want to sneak them in before we wrap up today. Okay, so I thought Broadway was going to run away with this thing in the Valley District, but Cody, what's going on with the girls soccer as as it's a little more complicated for the Gobblers than, than they thought it would be, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a story, I think, two weeks ago, and it kind of talked about how the only team that had really shown any consistency and the team that had by far looked the best was Broadway. And then as soon as I wrote the story, they've now lost two of their last three. Um, uh, you know, and, and it, it's kind of become a district that now I think it kind of looks wide open. Um, Harrisonburg has now won four or five in a row. They're at two losses. Um Waynesboro now has won five in a row. They went from a team that was below 500, and not, I didn't even think they were in the picture at all. They're now six and two in the in the district. So you've got two team or three teams there with two uh, league losses apiece. And then uh, Fort Defiance, who has beaten Harrisonburg at, at once one time, and then they beat Waynesboro at one point. They're four and four in the league. So and then Spotswood, who we all thought was going to be a state tournament team and just hasn't lived up to that. They're still at three and four. So I think at, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to once the tournament starts, any of those teams. Can beat each other. Um, you know, I, Waynesboro kind of seems like the team that's on the rise right now, but all these teams have, you know, beat each other up kind of throughout this year. And, um, you know, I don't know who's going to come out ultimately in the regular season, but I think it's going to make for a fun tournament. Obviously, Harrisburg won't play in that this year, uh, but, you know, even outside of that, you've got three or four teams there. Um, even TA, TA's beat Spotswood once this year, and they're at, dead last in the district right now. So you've got a lot of teams there who can beat each other. I think it's going to make for a fun tournament. Yeah. Who? Who do you think uh, is going to come out, at least regular season-wise? Well, I think right now you've got to like Waynesboro. They've won five in a row now. Um, you know, Broadway can get it together. I like. I think Broadway has the most talent. I think they've got the experience to go far, but they've had a lot of injuries. They've been playing uh, players in a lot of different spaces and a lot of places they're not used to playing, and I think that's led to some of our struggles recently. So if they can get healthy, I think Broadway comes out on top. But, uh, you know, otherwise for now, I think you've got to like the way Waynesboro's training. Okay, so what do you got on tap for this the, the rest of this week? What are the uh, big games you're hitting, features you're working on? I always, I always like to do this now with, with you guys and, and see what you're working on. Yeah, I'm headed uh, tonight to Broadway spots with baseball, just a, a valley matchup. Um, you know, Broadway's win streak is not 13, so they're, they're reaching some pretty uh, – Pretty um, new levels for Broadway baseball, certainly. And then, um, you know, the rest of the week, I've got a couple features. The Austin Nicely story. I'm going to go over and talk to Eastern Mennonites. Um, Meet Sloniker, uh, one of the best golfers in the state. Um, yeah, I think he's ranked number one right now um, in his classification. So uh, that'll be pretty cool. And then uh, Friday, there's a couple of big games. Um, TA plays Spotswood in baseball. Um, just another chance to kind of solidify itself as that number two team in the district. And then um, Shenandoah District, Page County, and Wilson battle first place teams in softball. So, yeah, a whole lot going on this week. But, um, you know, I think we're starting to kind of get a little more clarity with in, in all the sports on where, where teams kind of stack up. Yeah, no, nah, interesting. And what playoffs, district tournaments, what, two weeks, two, two three weeks? Two weeks, yeah. I think uh, the last regular season games are uh, May 10th, and then, you know, we'll give it two or three days, and then we'll get underway. So I'm sure I'm sure you're ready for that. We, I feel like we're in, in just the slog right now. The slog of the spring is as you try to push through some of these regular seasons. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always, you know, once you get to that level, you start to see teams really kind of separate themselves and, um, you know, see who's really got a, a long, deep run in them. So I'm interested to see, you know, what area teams can kind of do that this year. Yeah, for sure. So follow Cody for, for everything going on in the prep scene. Uh, you can read all this stuff, dnronline.com and in the paper each morning. So keep up with what's going on locally 
talk with Cody. That'll do it for today's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, big thanks to Jim, Cody, and Shane as we talk through JMU's uh, NFL Draft Weekend on the football side. Shane's story that's in today's paper, and I suggest you read it. Uh, to figure out what's going, what went on with Matt Lewis and, and JMU's men's basketball program. And then, of course, Cody here on the prep sports. So uh, until next week, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.